Ed Calderon is the kind of person who knows how to treat a chest wound with an adhesive trap. He runs towards the action instead of away from it. It all began when he was a child, chasing after his mother to help fashion improvised tourniquets at roadside accidents in Mexico. He nearly became a doctor himself. In the end, Ed would go on to become a healer, just like his mother. But the emotional wounds that have come with Ed's years battling cartels on the ground in Mexico are ones he's had a harder time stitching up. As many as 20% of military veterans will show symptoms of PTSD when they return to civilian life. At the beginning of his journey to recover from his daily realities on the job in Mexico, he created an online presence, one he named Ed's Manifesto. It's not a reference to any tiny red books with similar names, but the concept of manifesting the goals you want to achieve in life. In Ed's case, the goal was not only his own recovery from the ghost of his former life, but to inspire and serve as a beacon of hope for others who may be grappling with some of the same demons. One of the points he makes is that the Sneak Reaper's journey is still far from over. A quick side note, please bear with us for these next and final two episodes. During our last interview with Ed, something happened with his audio that resulted in a slight echo. You'll be able to understand what he's saying just fine, though there is a slight difference at first. I'm not uh, I'm much for sympathy or anything like that, but yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling through some of the issues that uh, were directly a product of my experiences. but still suffer with depression. Um, uh, it's a cyclical uh, depression and, and some of the physical and, and mental issues that go with that. But one of the main reasons I started that uh, manifesto, uh, I mean, as, as far as the social media aspect of it goes, uh, was to share some of the insights, some of the discoveries that I started making about my own process of healing and dealing with some of these problems. Uh, I didn't know what uh, PTSD was. I didn't know what uh, traumatic brain injury was. Uh, and I, I didn't have names for these things. Um, in, uh, in Mexico, there is no such thing as a PTSD uh, a therapy circle at the office that I used to work with. Uh, you know, there's, it's just not a concept that, that, that people are aware of. Uh, when I went to the U.S., I found myself surrounded by mostly... Uh, uh, Marine Corps veteran uh, friends that uh, that kind of uh, brought me into some of their uh, therapy circles and, and, and community and started kind of talking through some of the some of the experiences that I went through. Um, kind of going through that whole process, I started putting pen to paper and, uh, and writing some of my experiences down, uh, and these eventually turned into a series of posts that I've been doing for the past three years uh, called the uh, Fever Dreams. Basically kind of me recounting experiences of uh, feeling uh, anxious in a public setting, uh, uh, recounting uh, traumatic moments in in my life in in, in a very uh, personal way and opening myself up to uh, in a very honest way to people uh, that might kind of come through the feed and read something in there. Uh, but specifically, 
kind of talking to people that might have the same issues that I do, but haven't been able to put a name to it or didn't realize that you know they're not the only ones going through something like that. Which uh, I think in the end that's the scary part uh, of, of mental health issues is the uh, loneliness behind them. It's a lack of it's the lack of ability to to articulate what you're going through and to communicate in such a way where people can understand it. Ed had no idea what a profound impact those stories, which he calls his fever dreams, would have on the lives of others. And he'll discuss them in great detail in our final episode. But there's another part of his journey to recovery that he's been very open about. His struggle getting off prescription medication for his emotional scars. Medicine that he says was making his life worse, not better. Something he's also seen in others. Personally, again, I think I think as uh, as, as far as this, these types of uh, mental health issues and, and PTSD, I think uh, there's no other place like the U.S. as far as what is available for people as far as options and treatment. I think you, as a culture, have uh, have recognized some of these problems uh, way way before others. Uh, so you're way ahead of the game in that regard. What I do see as interesting and maybe harmful people uh, basically going through issues and just getting getting medication for it, that and the medication not helping. Uh, the, the whole use of uh, very powerful pharmaceuticals to treat some of these problems and uh, how it makes things worse for some people. Uh, that's something I've kind of uh, experienced myself directly. And it's something that I you know, kind of worry about when I when I see some of my friends or some of the people that I care about uh, going through some of the same issues that I did, and just getting desperate because uh, the medications they're not doing what they were told that that, that these medications would do, uh, or they have a faith in the medication and they just don't change anything about their lifestyle. Um, so they uh, get uh, certain medication for their uh, their uh, depression and. But they don't. They don't switch their diet. They don't uh, exercise. You know, they don't get off the uh, the alcohol that type of thing. Uh, I think any sort of therapy that is just dependent on a pill is not good therapy at all. I mean, it should it should come with a whole process, a whole support network, and uh, changes in lifestyle. I think. I went through a a, a, a whole cycle of. You know, can sleep, horrible night terror type uh, events. Uh, I would freak uh, some of the uh, people that I love the most in the world out. Um, I'd get these anxiety attacks and stuff like that. So a, fr- uh, a friend took me to get uh, get some help, and uh, I got a prescription uh, for certain um, antidepressant med- medication. And, uh, and another medication to kind of uh, calm me down. I, I, I felt this weird detachment. Uh, the, the, the best way I can describe it is trying to drive a car from the back seat. I don't know if that uh, that uh, kind of makes sense to people out there, but I, I felt kind of detached, kind of like an auto, like, like a zombie, basically. And it that uh, screwed around with my ability to. The right to work, 
to be created to provide uh, information to people that might need it to articulate my opinion. You know, all these things kind of started uh, suffering from it. I I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like what it was uh, taking. I didn't like the, uh, the the cost benefit aspect of it. Um, and almost immediately, I started looking for for options. We'll return right after this brief break. While officially not endorsed by the Department of Veterans Affairs, marijuana has become an increasingly popular alternative among some vets who are prescribed similar drugs. The Drug Enforcement Administration announcing steps to improve access to medical marijuana research to study how marijuana can help Americans, specifically veterans with post-traumatic stress. It's certainly not for everyone. But it had helped some of Ed's friends at the time, so he figured he would give it a shot. Ironically, Ed didn't have that much experience with weed prior to visiting his first legal dispensary in Colorado. He said he had stood downwind a few times while burning cartel marijuana fields with his colleagues. And memories like that were fresh in his mind as he took his first bite of a marijuana-infused cookie surrounded by the Rocky Mountains. Right along the time that I left the job, I went to I went to Denver to do a class. It's a cold, cold the morning that I got there, and uh, I was walking down the street and I saw this medical marijuana dispensary with a with a big green cross on it. Uh, curious about it, I told the uh, I told my guest can I can we go in there like uh, you know, exotic. Uh, we walked down the stairs and I was greeted by this lovely uh, lady. Uh, gray hair, short, petite, uh, beautiful blue eyes, uh, with a tray of, uh, like, a, like it was like a cookie uh, with a lollipop stick on there that was infused with weed, basically, uh, uh, as a, and I got a sample of it, and it made me feel funny, and nobody got hurt, and Actually, it made me feel kind of good. And uh, there was nothing bad or horrible about the experience, even buying it or anything like that. And just my mind went back to back to all the pot fields that we found destroyed, to uh, to people buying marijuana on the street and having them getting robbed or killed. You know, I just went into this whole process of just realizing the futility of the whole conflict that I just went through as far as weed goes. It's viable. I mean, just to relax. I see people abusing it. Uh, but for me, it was uh, when I got an anxiety attack or when I was feeling uh, specifically restless at night. Uh, it helped me out with that. Basically, it just calmed me down. And never, never, never abusing it. Uh, but uh, I just, I just felt this weird guilt about it because of uh, the culture that I just came out of, and how they demonize that plant, and how they demonize its effects on people. You, know, you would get stories in school; they would say violent uh, potheads, you know, cholos or whatever. And you would get this uh, image uh, or concept of this plant just being an evil demonic plant and all of a sudden you're just standing there with this nice old lady eating a cookie just feeling funny about it 
we would burn all the cannabis in the fields and we would find it. We couldn't carry it out. So <laughs> I was always that one from it, you know. Every now and then I would get, you know, a big bag of peat butter and ends and just tie myself to a tree. But people have to realize that marijuana in Mexico is horrible. It's not very good quality. So when you, uh, even if you, even if you do smoke it in Mexico, when you go to a place like California, Denver, and you have some of the, uh, the insane quality in some of the dispensaries that you find, it's just another planet as far as the quality goes. So it's completely different in my uh, experience. Uh, most of my veteran friends uh, kind of told me about it and told me about some of the benefits it has, uh, specifically for my for, for anxiety. Be uh, struggling with uh, with uh, sleep, and you know, my main issue was that I had uh, sleep cycles where I was just constantly waking up and tossing and turning and or not sleep. So that basically provided me with something that will help me sleep throughout the night. Uh, yeah, it was something that was uh, recommended to me, and then later on, I, I got a prescription for it. Um, it's a uh, it's been amazingly helpful. Another alternative and much more experimental medication that Ed has pursued is psilocybin. California lawmaker might have discovered the only reason to stay in California. Scott Weiner is introducing a bill to decriminalize psychedelic drugs like psilocybin. The bill will focus on their medical benefits regarding PTSD, depression, and other ailments. That's the active ingredient and what are commonly called magic mushrooms, which are illegal under federal law, just like cannabis. It's still considered much more experimental than marijuana, though it has been legalized in the state of Oregon and decriminalized in D.C. Mushrooms have become almost synonymous with the concept of microdosing, or taking very small amounts of something daily. And it is found that in controlled amounts and never in excess, it's been incredibly helpful. But where his experience with legal weed began here in the U.S., his adventure with mushrooms began in the country where he was born, and in typical Ed fashion. My first experience with magic mushrooms were in uh, southern Mexico. Uh, southern Mexico has a long tradition of magic mushrooms being utilized for uh, spiritual type uh, situations. Uh, when I was young, and we went down there and uh, you know seek sought some of this uh, these things out. Um, they, they have these uh, they're called veladas. Basically, at midnight, uh, the medicine woman will come and 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 guide you through a, a mushroom experience. Uh, they, they gather the, the mushrooms themselves. There's this whole process of preparation, depending on who you. Who you get to guide you through this process? The process is different. Uh, like, uh, one of the interesting things about my experience there, down there, they would talk about intention. So, what's your intention? Right? So, if you're there to have a good time, just doing something funny, it's probably not the best intention to have. Uh, but if you're trying to figure something out about yourself or about the world, um, if that's something you want you want to have in mind when you go through the process. And there's fasting and there's a, there's a whole walking up this giant hillside where the house is. So there's a physical price to it. 
on the American side of things, uh, I, I learned about microdosing uh, from uh, again, people that have been struggling with things like PTSD, uh, people that have been struggling with things like depression and uh, traumatic brain injury uh, uh, situations. Uh, microdosing and macrodosing, like the clinical side of it, is something that I, I never even heard about. Having people go through experiences, you know, hallucinogenic experiences, and and coming out of uh, kind of coming out of the other side of that experience changed in some way. Uh, it's interesting. Most cultures that all of us come from had some sort of hallucinogenic uh, therapy in a way in their history. You know, from the Aztec uh, warriors. Uh, uh, hallucinating uh, on some of these same mushrooms uh, when they came back from battle uh, or a conquest uh, to spirit uh, trips that uh, that uh, some warrior culture would have. I think uh, hallucinogenics and uh, basically the use of psilocybin is, is very much something that has a history uh, when it comes to warrior cultures coming back from, from wherever, they, wherever they did what they had to do. Some of the people that I've met that have been going through some of these processes becoming better because of them. I think they're just rediscovering something that they that they uh, that their ancestors lost, uh, getting reconnected to it. Um, the science behind it, I can't talk about that because you know I'm not a scientist. Uh, but purely purely from just seeing people change when they get started on that uh, process of microdosing and macrodosing, um, it does have some amazing benefits. Uh, I don't think it's for everybody. I know there's some people that might have underlying issues that uh, should uh, get worse uh, with some of that, but it is definitely an option. I don't think it, it should be put in the same category as cocaine or heroin, methamphetamine, you know? Um, it, to me, it's been very helpful in clearing out uh, some of my grogginess and, and, and mental uh, Cobwebs, as, as some people describe, uh, it, 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 it's helped me out to lessen the frequency of some of the depression cycles that I go through, and it's uh, it's made my life better. I'm almost completely off medication. The, the only ones I take are, are for some pain issues that I have, uh, inflammation issues that I have. I, I still, you know, still drink <laughs> because that's a hard thing to get rid of, and I'm trying, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's helped me out a lot. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I'm impure because that's, there's no such thing as people that go through trauma, uh, lose something, whatever that something is, they will never be able to get it back completely. So one of the first, uh, steps to healing is accepting that you have a problem. Uh, another the, another of the steps that I think is pretty important to realize is that you will never be back to where you were. Um, and a lot of people are basically experiencing ghost pains when their mindset is of uh, getting back to that normal that they once experienced or what they think was normal. I think that's very important in the healing process to realize that you will, that you, you, you will never get back to that uh, old normal and then you need to figure out that new normal and what that new normal is. Uh, that's that's the struggle. Ed says some of the techniques that have helped him most along the way, when things really started to spiral, have nothing to do with any substance at all, 
in pill form or otherwise? Just the concept of being barefoot uh, is, I don't know. Um, there's, it comes from a few places I've learned. I learned it from some of the older guys that I used to work with that had been through the, a lot. You know, some of them went through way more than I went through. Uh, but we would have people go into anxiety attacks or you know, PTSD type uh, situations. I saw one of the well, them take off uh, one of our guy's uh, shoes and just have him plant his feet in the ground. It was a uh, black earth, grassy ground. And he told them to just uh, move his, wiggle his toes and get that dirt in between his toes. And uh, to feel the gravity uh, on his uh, legs and on his back and shoulders. And just to breathe, you know. I don't know if he was, he wasn't a therapist. He wasn't a, uh, he wasn't a, he wasn't a counselor. He was just a guy that went through a lot. And uh, I could see the effects of that uh, grounding element in some of these people uh, trying to get back to a baseline uh, so they could, you know, they could start figuring things out. Uh, later on in life, uh, I got to meet an amazing, amazing uh, guy. Uh, he goes by uh, Tracker Dan. Uh, he's an NSW guy, um, the Navy SEAL reservist. Uh, he's also a survival instructor. He taught me how to track. And uh, when he's tracking, he takes his shoes off. It makes you very conscientious about where you're stepping. So you, just, you tend to slow down. Uh, and it also makes you be very purposeful in where you walk. Uh, so you... So you don't walk in any place that it might make you more tired. You, you become a bit more efficient as far as where you walk and how you walk. And also it makes you very conscientious about anything you might see in a certain line of sight when you're tracking from something on the ground to something knee high to something waist high. You start looking at things uh, uh, through levels. So basically it makes you aware of yourself, your breathing, your heart, and where you are, and it grounds you. I remember learning some of the stuff from him and then just realized that I just forgot that I just went through a horrible uh, anxiety attack in the morning as I was trying to uh, as I was trying to fix breakfast for my kid um, and it just brought me back to baseline uh, so, so you know I think uh, I think there's a, there's a, there's something to be said about Activities that bring you into a flow state. Uh, tracking uh, did that for me. Long range shooting uh, does that for me as well. Martial arts does that as well. Um, but uh, the ability to take off your shoes and just, uh, if somebody's out there listening to, the, to this and they get a, an anxiety attack of some sort out there, or they just want to just want to feel a little bit of control um, to take off your shoes, walk outside, walk on the wet grass, dig your toes into the dirt, feel the gravity going through your knees, down to your feet, breathe, and uh, and just uh, get grounded, basically, is what, uh, is what I've seen help me and it's what, I've, what, what, what I've done to help others. Another alternative technique Ed advocates for is yoga. 
though his reason for starting the practice is more typical of a sneak reaper than a healer. In fact, it might not have been about the yoga at all, but the benefits of learning something new. Well, the reason I went into yoga was uh, to try and be better at getting out of restraints. <laughs> that's, the, that's the reason why I went into yoga. Um, I mean, I practice it. It helps me out with breathing, it helps me out with posture, it helps me out with some of my physical issues that I have. I've been, in my, in my time working, I was banged up a lot. Crashing in vehicles purposely and accidentally, uh, to being beat up, to having my nose broken several times, to hip issues, to back issues, like most people that have carried firearm and plate armor and weight on top of their body for an extended period of time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I can get into half Lotus. <laughs> I'm still working on the other half. It's a pretty good uh, endeavor to get into. And I think just the ability, the ability to, to go out and do something or learn something in a public setting with other people is therapeutic. If, you're, if your healing is purely based on a pill, I think that's not healing. When, it, when it's based on a lifestyle change, that comes with physical change and I'm not talking about going off and doing you know insane amounts of uh, exercise at four in the morning every day and then coming back and being a superhuman athlete uh, but uh, to me it was superhuman to go to a yoga studio and uh, be the only guy there and, and uh, just try it and stick with it you know that, that to me that was that was pretty abnormal and out of the normal, uh, superhuman to me. So I, I think we all have to find that balance in, in our own lives and uh, not try to emulate. You know, we can't all be a Olympic uh, medalist, uh, marathon runner, uh, but you can find that uh, that baseline for ourselves. In Mexico, where Ed says they didn't have a name for post-traumatic stress, it's safe to assume that there weren't very good protocols in place for when bad things happen on the job. And for a guy known for his MacGyver-like resourcefulness, it says he was using all the wrong tools when it came time to save himself. There's no antidepressant medication getting uh, handed out. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, you know, uh, and there's no medical marijuana. <laughs> there's no uh, the therapy circles. If, if, if anything, you might get uh, sent to a psychologist. Uh, uh, for, for an hour session and then you get uh, let out. Um, after some of these events, what we would what they would do is they would give us a few days off. Um, and uh, most of those days off were usually spent drinking. But uh, most people out there that uh, have any experience with alcohol can tell you that's not a that's not a, that's not a good medicine. That's not a good medication to try and get through things like that. Um, and uh, I think I, I started, started feeling the changes uh, as far as uh, the idealism that I went in there with uh, the the sense of uh, purpose, the sense that I was doing something completely right just started kind of to decay at that point. Um, and uh, alcohol, long nights out. Um, and a group of people around you that are basically on the same level that you are with no way of helping you 
that is in any way, shape, or form actually helpful are trying to make you feel better. And, uh, you know, I start feeling that uh, that dread that the, the moment you realize where it where, when you when you, when you just realize that you might have a problem, you start getting a little bit quiet every now and then. I usually look for senses of humor in, in some of the people that I've come to call family. Some of my uh, prior military veteran uh, family that I've, uh, that I've gathered uh, through my travels and experiences in the U.S. And one thing I can tell you is that most of the more highly experienced individuals that I got to uh, talk to uh, have a wicked sense of humor. And every time I see it, and every time I experience it, and uh, if I'm with somebody like that, when uh, things get quiet, I tell them, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good mask you're wearing, <laughs> you know, because I know what it is. It's, that's a pretty good defensive mechanism. It's a pretty good uh, cloaking device that, that some of us put on. Um, sense of humor is a defensive mechanism, and some of us uh, have developed it into a wicked art form. Next, on the final episode of our podcast, Ed tells us why he decided to go public with some of his most painful memories. I vividly remember the swirling patterns by seeing the mixture of all this blood coming out of that truck driveway. And why he thinks the alchemy that comes with the moments of violence is not a life sentence. You can sleep in the past or wake up in the future, and I think a lot of people just need to wake up in the future a little bit. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.